All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we are going to look at a rather long passage today. Uh, so I am not going to read all of it. Like normally I would start out and I'd read those verses. I'm not going to read all of it right now. We'll read to it uh, as we get to it. So um, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 41 today. 14 through 41. And if you recall, last week, uh, hopefully if you weren't here, uh, you caught the, uh, the replay or um, caught the, uh, the podcast. Uh, actually, side note, we are in the process of setting up a new podcast system. And I'm really excited about it. Like it, I was, I was showing it off to a few people this morning. Once it is up and ready to go, I will share it with you. But it, it looks pretty sweet. So uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to uh, listen to them throughout the week. You're like, man, that was really good. I want to hear that again. Yeah, that's what you should tell me. All right, but it, it will be available. Um, we're also uh, building a brand new website. Uh, it's taking me smidge longer than I anticipated because I am not a graphic designer, but. Um, there it is. So anyway, last week we were in Acts chapter 2. We had been building up to uh, when the Holy Spirit was going to be given. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we see the Holy Spirit was given and what came about as a result. And then when you get down to verse 13, um, you, you see this crowd has gathered and there are two responses. One group, one part of the crowd said, wow, you know, I hear them speaking, they're speaking in my language, and they're glorifying God. I need to know more about what's going on. The other side is going, dude, look at these fools. These guys are drunk, right? It's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're, they're drunk. They can't even, they're actually, they're, not even, they're drunk on new wine. They're drunk on their grape juice. In, in essence, is what they're saying. Now, Peter, and we'll see this here in a second, Peter is, if you know anything about Peter from, from reading the Gospels, Peter was never one to let something lie. Peter was never one to like, if somebody said something, Peter was going to be right there with a comeback. And, and so he heard them going, these dudes are drunk. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Hold up, hold up. And so that's where we are right now in our story as we continue through the book of Acts. We are um, where Peter hears this. And he gets up, and he's going to address the situation. Um, so that's where we are. I'm, we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. It says this, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood for before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Before we go any further, let's go to prayer. Ask a blessing on our time. Father, I pray that you um, would give a special blessing to the reading of your word, to the, to the study of your word, and help us to, to truly comprehend what's being, what's being uh, written here in the scripture 
Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and open our hearts to what we're going to, uh, to go through this morning and that as a result, we would be different people. We'd be filled with the Spirit to go out and share that with others. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so what we see here is we see Peter. He stands up and he says, wait a second. Guys, there's no drinking going on. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not like that. Okay, that, that might be the other group over there, but that's not us. He said, but let me tell you what is going on. And so Peter, Peter takes what happened and he flips the script on them. He basically flips it over and he starts speaking in a way that nobody expected. I imagine Peter's even probably in his head going, where in the world is all of this coming from? Because Peter was a fisherman. Peter was not an educated person. But he starts spouting some stuff here. He starts speaking some things um, that, that totally blows everybody's mind. And so what we see is the first point is Peter explains the situation. All right? He, he explains the situation. He tells them they're not drunk, but he doesn't just stop there. He breaks out into a full-on sermon. Now, i got to tell you, it takes me all week to prepare for Sunday morning. I start... Uh, I start on Monday, I start reading, and I start studying, and I start doing all these things, and then I'll sit down and I'll start to, to write out what I'm going to say. Now, I, don't, I write it out word for word. I don't always say what I wrote down. Probably should. That might keep me out of some trouble. Um, but Peter just got up and very extemporaneously started quoting the book of Joel. Most of us didn't even know there was a book of Joel. And Peter just goes... Look, let me tell you what Joel had to say. And, and he starts quoting from Joel chapter 2. And what he does is he tells them three truths about what's going on. And the first thing he says is that the events of Pentecost, what these people are, are, are what, what the crowd is watching, means that prophecy had been fulfilled. Joel prophesied that all of this was going to go down, that, that the Spirit was going to come and it was going to be poured out on people, and they were going to have the ability to, to, to prophesy and to speak the truth about what was happening. So the first thing was that prophecy had been fulfilled. The second thing is the events of Pentecost showed that the last days had begun. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Peter was telling the crowd that the final act of God's redemptive plan had just started. Okay, And if you were with us, uh, if you've been with us for any period of time over the past year, you know we looked, at, we looked at Sunday school and on Wednesday night something called the story. And the story, in essence, we went through the scripture and we looked at God's redemptive plan and how that plays out through the Bible. And so what Peter was telling them was, God has a redemptive plan, and according to what Joel prophesied, the last days are here. Now, the God's redemptive plan is this. He created Adam and Eve, and they were perfect. But Adam, thinking he knew better than God, he followed after Eve. Adam and Eve, they thought they knew better than God. And they did something that God told them not to do because they thought their way was better than God's. And God said, uh-uh, that's not how this happens. But rather than destroy them and start over, God kicked them out of the garden and began a plan, began a storyline that would eventually lead to man being redeemed. And all of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, David and everyone else like that, they all prophesied to a time when the Messiah was going to come. That's act one. Act number two took place in a manger. We had a, 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 virgin, a virgin teenager. She gave birth to a child who would grow up to be the Messiah. That was Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ's time here on earth and all of the miracles and all of the teachings and everything culminating in the time where he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that was act two. The Messiah had arrived. Act three, the last days are what is going to take place until Jesus comes back. Now, I say that term last days and some people get on edge. They get, they get kind of, oh, and they, they start seeing boogeymen everywhere. Okay, they start seeing boogeymen, and last week there was a, there was a, a news article that I read um, about this company that was microchipping their employees. They were putting microchips in them so they could use it as their scanner to get in and out of the building. They could buy things out of the, uh, the vending machine, all of those. And, and, and there were comments like, oh no, the Antichrist is about to come. People were losing their minds over this. And they, you hear about Bitcoin and that chip they put in your, uh, in your credit card. That was a sign that the, you know, Jesus is about to come back. These signs have been happening for like 50, 60, 70. As long as I can remember, people were losing their minds over every time somebody says the word chip. Like I, I, the church I grew up in, somebody would say potato chip and everybody would go, what, 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 what's going on? He said chip, what's happening, right? That's not what the last days are referring to. The last days are talking about the time between Jesus ascended and to the time he's coming back. Now, there is no set period of time. Granted, I realize that that has taken place for 2,000 years. It's been two, oh, at least 2,000 years since the time Jesus ascended to the time that we meet here this morning. But what that gives us is saying that it's the last days. We should be living with a sense of urgency. We should be living with a sense of intentionality, knowing that at any point, these last days could end. All right? And that's, that's what we're looking at. And then finally, finally, the, the, what Peter says here is the events of Pentecost means that everyone can know God intimately and should strive to make him known. Everyone can know God intimately. And quoting Joel, Peter states that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on men and poured out, and men and women will begin prophesying. Now, what he's he's not talking about the fact that they're going to start doing prophecies like we saw in the Old Testament. In essence, what Peter was saying is that we have the ability and the obligation to share the truth about Jesus Christ. We have the ability and the obligation to share the gospel with others. And when we are saved, we are filled with the Spirit and given the power to do the work that we are called to do. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, there's a story there about Moses, and he says this, If only all of the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would place his Spirit on them. Moses was asking for it, and God said, Just wait. That day is coming. That day is coming. And now it's here. According to Peter, it is now here. And this is the very thing that happened when the Holy Spirit arrived. There is a reason that Peter was stating these things. While it is exciting that the last days are upon us and that Joel's prophecy had, was coming true, Joel also prophesied of a coming judgment. If you look in the scripture, it says this, I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. There is a judgment coming. There's, a, there, there's going to be a time where we stand before Christ. And we have the opportunity to stand before him as, and he'd be one of two things. We can stand before him and he's our savior. 
and, and, and we, have, we have repented of our sins and we stand before him and he says, come on in. Well, we stand before him as our judge and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Right? I would much rather stand before him and have him say, please, come right on in than have him say, you need to go. That's, that's what's happening there. Um, one day all of us will stand there. That's the reason why Peter later writes this. Peter writes in uh, uh, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter is telling us now that we have the Holy Spirit, we need to be ready so that when somebody asks us why we have the hope that we do, we can say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And we can share the gospel with them in the hopes that one day when they stand before Jesus, they will not be standing before him as their judge. Peter concludes this section with good news. Verse 21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, the offer of salvation is open to those who will accept it. And so my question is, and for people that are watching as well, have you accepted God's offer of salvation? He's offering it to you. He says, come and get it. It's right here. I want to give it to you. Sadly, though, there are some who are saying, I'm good. I don't need it. Unfortunately, though, that we, we know where that's going to end up. The second thing that we see in this section is Peter... Peter exalts the Savior. So after Peter used his text, he then jumped in and started talking about Jesus. And that gets me excited. I'm going to read this for you. It is, uh, it is a few verses, so bear with me. It says this. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless men to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. See what has come... Uh, see what was... Seeing what was to come, there we go. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God raised this Jesus. God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So after setting the context, after 
uh, Joel, or Peter goes through Joel and explains what just happened, why the events that they witnessed there, why that took place, Peter then goes directly from man's need of salvation into a discussion of the one who that salvation is made possible through. There's a famous preacher named uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, sometimes I wear a shirt with his face on the front. <laughs> All right, preachers love Charles Spurgeon. We love to talk about him anyway. He, his, yeah, he writes a lot. Okay, he's no longer alive, but he was, he was very famous. Um, and he has a, he's quoted as having said this, I take my text and I make a beeline for the cross. So if you read some of his sermons, and I, and I recommend that you do, um, get a good night's sleep first, though. It's, they're, they're long and uh, very dense. But um, he, he will take a text, and he will find his way to tie that text to Jesus. And that's what Peter is doing here in this particular sermon. Um, he used the text of Joel 2 as his starting point, and then he took his uh, readers directly back to Jesus. And the first thing that we see is Peter, Peter tells the crowd who he is talking about. He is talking about Jesus and his validity as the Messiah. If you it, it, All through the Gospels, Jesus kept telling people, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. He would, he would point out, he would show them different things that people would all be like, eh, whatever, you're the carpenter's kid. Whatever, we know you from back, we know you from back in the hood, man. We know, we played baseball. I don't know if we played baseball or not in, in Jerusalem, but it's possible. Like, you're, you're, you're Joseph's son, you're not the Messiah. He would tell him these things, and nobody believed him. Nobody would listen to him. The, the, the religious leaders, the ones who should have known better, were constantly saying, Jesus, you're not the Messiah. He was giving them all of the clues. They could not see the forest for the trees. And so what Peter does here is he says, listen, Jesus, he was the Messiah. And he, he starts pointing out the ways that he did it. All right. The first thing he says is Jesus was approved by God. When Je Back in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was, um, was baptized by John, after he convinced John to do it, John didn't want to, um, but after he convinced John to do it, what happened? The sky split open, a dove came down, and God's voice was like, this is my son. I approve of him. All right? Listen to what he has to say. People are going, what? Uh, uh, they heard God say it. Nobody listened. Okay? So he was approved by God. Um, Jesus also did many miracles that were from God as a sign of who he was. Now, there were a few times where Jesus did miracles in private, where he would go in and he... Um, he, he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and he raised a, a girl from the dead. He did those things in private. But the majority of the miracles that he did, he did them right out in front of everybody. He would heal people on the side of the road. He'd be like, you know, pointing. And he would heal people that were, that were blind and people that uh, he would cast out demons. He would do all of these things as a sign of who he was. And people are still going, I don't get it. Like, what, what, what's happening here? They, they, they could not, they would not understand what was going on. The evidence that Jesus was who he said he was could be found everywhere, but people didn't pick it up. The second thing Peter said, talks about is he talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. We've been singing the song this month, We Believe. Everything that Peter's laying out in his sermon here is found in that song. I wonder if they got that from somewhere. It's, it's, the newsboys read the Bible. Whoa. All right. Peter explains the sovereignty of God in the crucifixion. He says that God had planned for Jesus to die on the cross. 
that, that God was not losing control when this happened, but that he had ordained it from the very beginning that this is how it was going to go down. That Jesus was going to come and he was going to do all of these things. And that according to God's plan, in order to redeem sinful man back to himself, he was going to use his son as the payment for the penalty of sin. That that was what was going to happen. It was all part of God's redemptive plan. This was the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Romans 5.8 says this, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? And if you read through Romans chapter 5, it's a beautiful chapter. It talks all about how um, nobody's going to die for, die for a righteous man. Very, very rel- seldom will somebody even die for a good man. But God looked down at us, saw that we were sinners, and said, you know what? I love them even though they hate me. I'm going to send Jesus to die on the cross for them. God, like I said, God did not lose control when Jesus was crucified. It was all part of his plan. But even though it was God's plan... Peter points out that it was still sinful men that carried it out. It was still it was God's plan, but it was still man's sin that was a part of it. Peter states in Acts 23, 2.23 that it was sinful men who killed Jesus. It was our sin that led Jesus to the cross. He died in our place. And you and I, even though it's over 2,000 years since that event took place, we're still responsible. Our sin is what led Jesus to that cross. Our sin is what, what the reason that Jesus had to die on that cross. Peter points this out to bring conviction to his listeners. And, and, and as we'll see here in just a moment, it worked. We're going we're to look at that in a second. The conviction of sin comes as a result of hearing God's word preached. It is the Holy Spirit who uses God's word to bring us to the place of repentance. The third thing that Peter talks about in his sermon is the resurrection of Jesus. So we have Jesus' life, we have Jesus' crucifixion, we have Jesus' resurrection. This is the key part of the sacrifice that Jesus made. The death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, but it was the resurrection that showed that that sacrifice was acceptable. When God looked down, he said, okay, the, the penalty has been paid, I'm bringing him back. That was the sign that I heard a a speaker say one time. That was the sign that the check cleared. All right, we all think of money. It was the sign that the check cleared, that the payment had been accepted. And Peter lays out three witnesses to the resurrection. Okay, because at this time, there was a story floating around that the disciples had stolen the body. That the disciples had, had, had stolen the body. And that was the, the story that was floating around. Peter says, no, nah, we didn't take the body. That's gross. All right, I don't, okay. it's, it's in the Greek. It's in the Greek. Trust me. All right. But he, he, he gives three, ones, uh, three witnesses. First, Peter references David's prophecy in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. David declared that God would not abandon Jesus to hell. Peter goes on to say, look, David wasn't talking about himself. When David wrote this, he wasn't talking about himself. In fact, if you don't believe me, let's go check out David, David's tomb right now. I can tell you, his body's still there. I've been there. I saw it. I took a picture, okay? All right? I, 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 got, my, I, I got a selfie in front of it. Do they have selfies back then? Okay. All right, Tina's shaking her head. I need to move on. All right? David wasn't talking about himself. David was talking about someone greater. Second thing, Peter says that everyone who was with him was a witness. And we looked at that in Acts chapter 1. 
how uh, Jesus spent 40 days appearing to people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how Jesus showed up after the resurrection to over 500 people. There were a lot of people who were floating around um, throughout the city of Jerusalem who could say, yes, I saw Jesus resurrected. And then the third thing um, Peter says is that because Jesus was raised and is now at God's right hand, the Holy Spirit has come proven by the things that we're talking about right now. All right. When, when Peter says, look, the, the final piece of evidence, if you need another piece, just look at what we're doing. Joel chapter 2, he references back to the Joel chapter 2 says, this is going to happen. Open your eyes, people. It's taking place. It's happening right now. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because of that, that's why you're experiencing this right now. And then the last point, Peter clearly wasn't a Baptist because Baptists only have three points. All right. He's got four points going on. All right. The final point of Peter's message is that Jesus is now glorified in heaven. Jesus came to earth, died on a cross, he was resurrected, he is now glorified up in heaven. There is another reference to David, this time it comes from Psalm 110, in which David shows that it wasn't the psalmist who was seated at the right hand of God. He talks about, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand. The right hand of the throne is a place of honor. It is the highest honor that a ruler could give anyone. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, in the book of Hebrews it talks about this, he went and he sat down at the right hand of God. God looked at him and said, you did everything that you were supposed to do. Have a seat. Jesus has been honored up there. All of this was done to show that Jesus, the one who was crucified, has been made Christ and Messiah by God. He is exactly who he said he was. The final point, or my, my final point, is Peter exhorts the sinners. All right, I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, 37 through 40. says this. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. At this point, those listening to Peter were basically cut open. Right? They heard what Peter was saying, and, and, and it just blew their minds. They're going, wait a second. He's talking about us. All of this is going down. And, and they, they, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. All right? So um, it, 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 growing up, I went to church camp a lot. And church camp is, is designed to get you to make a decision for Christ. All right? Very rarely, I, I hate to admit this, but... Uh, a number of those decisions don't stick. But the, the preacher, when he's up there preaching, uh, hopefully he's bathed it in prayer, he is preaching specifically to get you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And, and I'm sure we've all been in, in, in sermons and messages where it feels like the preacher is talking, there's, there's other people in the room, feels like he's talking just to us. 
And sometimes it feels good. You're like, yeah, that feels good. And other times you're like, dude, I'm the worst person in the world. I, I am an awful human being. That is what these people were experiencing right now. They heard Peter lay all of this out and their eyes were open. And they said, wait a second, Jesus, the one I heard, the one I saw do all of these things, that was the Messiah. And, and I did this to him. I'm responsible for this. And they turned to Peter and they said, what do we do now? What do we do? And Peter's response was, here's what you need to do. You need to repent of your sins and be baptized. That was his message. Repent of your sins and be baptized. And the reason this happened, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When God's word is preached, when God's word is effectively preached, it tears us open. It shows us all of the sin and all of the wickedness that we have. And the only way to have that removed, have that taken away, is to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. They began to ask what they do. Peter gave, uh, Peter gave them the two-step process, repent and be baptized. Those listening needed to repent of their sins. We've talked about this before, but repentance means to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. If you've been with us as we did the three circles, you know we've talked about this. Repentance is to turn away from the things that you're trusting in and begin trusting in Jesus for your salvation. And then baptism, baptism does not save anyone from their sins. Sometimes that verse gets twisted. Repent and be baptized. I'm like, oh, well, I got to be baptized in order to be saved. You don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. However, Baptism is a sign of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you've repented and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the next step for you to do is to announce to the world that you've done that by being baptized. Baptism is a sign of that. Baptism is a sign of belief in Jesus. Peter continues his exhortation by stating that those who repent their sins, repent of their sins and believe will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter continues to urge them to make a decision for Christ, for them to repent and put their faith in him. And what was the result of this? 3,000 people got saved. I can't even fathom that. 3,000 people got saved. We, 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 get, we have one person trust Christ, and we go nuts. Can you imagine what that world would be like if 3,000 people did it? Now, last week I told you what happened in Acts chapter 2 was uh, descriptive and not prescriptive, I would really like this part to be prescriptive and not descriptive. And I think that if we truly trust Christ and we truly follow the example of what Peter did here and we proclaim the message of Christ, that Christ came to earth, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was resurrected, and now he's sitting up in heaven as our Savior. If we truly and faithfully proclaim that message that we're going to start to see people give their lives to Jesus and start turning and, and start accepting Christ. There are close to 20 different sermons in the book of Acts. Peter's got a bunch of them. Paul's got a bunch of them. There's a, there's a couple others sprinkled in there. And they typically follow the same pattern. What I just said, Jesus came to earth. He was the Messiah. You killed him. Jesus brought him back to life. If you read through the sermons, that's, what, that's basically the, the pattern that they follow. Jesus came to earth. 
God sent Jesus to earth. Y'all are responsible for putting him on that tree. God brought him back to life. All right, that, that's the pattern that they follow. And every time, almost every single time that this, that message is preached, guess what happens? People get saved. Lots of people get saved. The problem is, is in many churches, hopefully not this one, but in many churches, we're not preaching that message anymore. What we're doing is we're telling people how they can have relationships, right? Or, or how to deal with their money. Or, you know what's coming, how to have your best life now. Or how to make every day a Friday, right? That's the message that's being proclaimed. And do you know what's happening? People are patting themselves on the back going, I'm a good person. Look at me. Yay. All right. My life is all good. Hunky door. Yay. Right. They're, they're getting a false gospel preached to them. And sadly, many people are never being confronted with the fact that they need to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Peter knew that his audience needed to hear about Jesus. Right. There is a time and a place for us to teach about what the Bible says about relationships. There is a time and a place for us to teach about what the Bible says about money or how to raise your children and all of those things. There is a time and a place for that. Church, Sunday morning worship is not the place for that. When we come together on Sunday morning, you know what we are to proclaim? We're to proclaim Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead in order to forgive our sins, and he's sitting up in heaven glorified right now wanting to give us that salvation. That is, what the, that is what the Bible tells us to preach. We will have our sins for... Pardon me, I lost my place here. All right. And what we do with that message, what we do with that message, even those of us that are sitting here as believers today, what we do with that message will determine our future for all of eternity. Like I said, at one point, I said earlier, there's going to come a time where we stand before Jesus. And we can either stand before him and he's going to be our savior. Or we can stand before him and he's going to be our judge. For those of us that are believers, we have this message. And we're going to leave these doors. We're going to walk out here and I'm talking to myself just as much right now. We're going to go out here and we're going to go to uh, California Tortilla and we're going to wave. I, I don't know if we are or not, so don't get excited. Right? And we're going we're gonna to see Jose. By the way, if you go to, if you go to uh, California Tortilla, say hello to Jose. He's a good dude. Okay, I love, I love Jose. Um, we're going to see these people at the restaurants. We're going to see them all over the place. We're going to see our friends and our neighbors. And we have this message. And we have to look at our neighbor and say, you know what? We have to, maybe we say it out loud. Maybe we think it in our head. One day that person is going to stand before Jesus. Is that person going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to be his judge? Or is that person going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to be his savior? For those of us that are believers, we have that message. We need to make sure, we need to make certain that we are sharing it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Peter's sermon, Lord. I, I thank you so much that, that the Holy Spirit it filled him and gave him the words to say. I imagine uh, the, the other 11 were probably standing back going, what in the world is going on? Peter was probably thinking the same thing to himself. What in the world is going on? 
But Lord, you, you filled him with the, the words the, the, from, from the book of Joel, and then he clearly laid out the gospel. And the result was 3,000 people accepted the, the message of the gospel, accepted Christ, had their sins forgiven, and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life right now. Father, I pray that that would become, uh, that we look at that and go, wow, that's something exciting. That's amazing, Lord. I would pray, I, I pray over this church that, that that not becomes exciting, that that becomes the everyday for this church, Lord. That we would, we would be so enraptured with Jesus Christ, that we would be so caught up with what he did for us, that we would be so overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace that we can't help but go out and share that message. And Lord, I, I know people are listening to me, and, but I'm talking just as much to myself as I say these things, Lord, that, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to the point where we're bubbling over and we're sharing the gospel message with everyone. Lord, help us to, to, to share the message and for you to bring people into our lives and give us opportunities with our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and and, and, and people who at one point were, were members of this church who have now stepped away for whatever reason, that we would share the gospel with them, that we would share this story of Jesus Christ just as Peter shared it uh, with the, the listeners who had gathered for, to find out what was going on with the crowd, and that we would begin to see people give their lives to Jesus all of the time, Lord. That it, it would no longer be, that it would still be exciting for us, but that it would become an everyday occurrence. Lord, help this to be uh, prescriptive and not descriptive, Lord. Father, I, uh, I ask that you would be with each person, Lord. I, I, I don't know how the Holy Spirit is working on lives, whether they're here in the, uh, here in the church or watching via Facebook right now or maybe catch it later on the, uh, the podcast. Lord, I don't know how the Holy Spirit is working with them, but Lord, I pray that they would be open to what he has to say, open to the nudging and, and hopefully the, 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 the pushing that they would deal with the things that, that they need to deal with. Uh, whether it's the need for forgiveness, uh, to, to accept forgiveness or to extend forgiveness, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, they would be open to those things, whether it's uh, an addiction or, or something that they need to lay down, a burden that they're experiencing. Father, I pray that today would be the day that that would take place. Father, I ask that you would bless each one of us that was here this morning. Be with us as we go out. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.